0: Well, today we're going to begin our series study on the parables of Jesus. Now, with Thanksgiving about to uh, hit us this week, I thought, what better parable is there than to do one on the big dinner? It just kind of seems to fit pretty good. And that's what we find in Luke chapter 14. Uh, Simply put, um, when you think about what is a parable, simply put, a parable is a truth that is told with an eternal aspect, but it has also an earthly meaning to it. Um, It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Um, And within all the parables of Jesus you will see Jesus and he is referring to certain things, but he's doing it in the form of a story and he'll use analogies and he'll pick things out that was uh, was very active in that day, in that setting, so that he could connect with the people that he's talking to. People, most of the time, will almost always remember a good story. And that's what Jesus did. However... That's how he he was preaching. But there was another reason as to why Jesus went to teaching in parables. Um, And it's worth noting before we dive into that Luke chapter 14 passage. Now, while many people desire to want to know truth, there's a lot of people that don't. Prior to Luke chapter 14, we see Christ again and again and again being rejected, being cursed, being pushed aside by the majority of the people he was coming in contact with, the Jewish nation, and especially by their religious uh, elitists, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And because the people of Israel that Jesus was appealing to we uh, were rejecting Jesus at every turn. Jesus changed his approach to how he would speak to them, and he began to speak in parables. The Bible tells us that he came unto his own, but his own received him not, in John 1, verse 11. And there will always be a price to pay when you stop listening to the voice of Jesus. To those who had an open heart and a desire to want to learn and know, the parables of Jesus were almost always seen as something that gave hope and encouragement. But to those who were not open to truth, did not want to hear, and was very opposed to the message Almost always the parables were seen to them as judgment. As judgment and, uh, and, and of mercy at the same time. Now in Matthew chapter 13, you'll see this up on the screen. You won't need to turn over to it. But in Matthew chapter 13, 10 through 15, I want you to hear something that's really important as we enter into this thing on the parables. It says, And the disciples came and they said to him, to Jesus, Why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered, and he said to them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but you will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but you will not perceive. And here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their hearts, and understand with their, their heart in return, and I should heal them. The reason why Jesus shifted into teaching, into a a method of using parables. It was to pronounce judgment against the Jewish nation because of their habitual and constant rejection of his message. And that's a sad thing when you think about it. So that in hearing, they will not hear. They will hear the words of truth, of things to come, but they're not going to understand. Because they've closed their eyes. They choose to be blind versus to hear and to listen. And in Luke chapter 14, we see this being played right out in this fashion from the very beginning. At the very beginning of Luke chapter, uh, chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus has been invited over to have dinner. Now that sounds like a pretty good, uh, a, a nice gesture, But when you read not long after Jesus being invited, you see what's going on. Jesus is being set up. They're not inviting Jesus over because of what he was doing, because of his teaching, because of the miracles that were happening big time. They're not amazed. They're not influenced. They're not in awe. They're not brought to humility. They're not uh, in a state of wonder. They are inviting Jesus over to their house so that they can trick him or find a reason to accuse him. And they already got something set up to accuse him. And so now you really begin to understand why Jesus' approach to the people now were in parables. Well, that's what is the background, and that's what's going to take place. And follow with me as we begin to read in Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And it says this. And it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. That word, closely, is the same word that you will find in the book of Acts in uh, chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, when the Bible says that after Paul was converted, that the, the Jews of the city uh, uh, began to watch Paul so closely so as to find an opportunity to kill him because he was so outspoken for who Jesus was. His conversion, conversion was so radical, they could not allow Paul to have a platform. So they came up with a plan. What better way to shut him up than to just kill him? And that's that same word that is used, and it's used right here. Jesus is invited over uh, to this house, and they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. Now, there's the setup. This guy was not one of the leaders. He was an outcast. You know why he was an outcast? Because he had a physical handicap. And in the mindset of those religious leaders, to have a physical problem meant there was a spiritual problem, thus the reason why you have what you have. That was their thinking. And so they bring this guy over to the house uh, thinking that he's being uh, invited over to eat and look at who he's eating with. It's the religious leaders. But they're inviting him over because they knew that he had a physical problem, dropsy. Uh, Edema is the modern-day term for dropsy. What that is, that's when the heart and and the kidneys cease to work and the body starts to retain a lot of water. And it's a very uh, outward-looking problem. It really impacts the, the, the arms and the legs. And they sit this poor guy right there in the midst of all the other religious leaders in this house, seated in all these positions of honor. And they sit this guy right in front of them. And it says, And there in front of them was a certain man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and the Pharisees. And he said this, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. Don't you just love gutless people? They, they were just quiet. They would not respond. And it says, And he took hold of him, the, the man who had dropsy, and he healed him and he sent him away. Just that quick. And he healed the man in front of these leaders. What would you have done? I would like to think that if I was a spectator and I saw this miracle, and and it happened right in front of them, would you even be able to eat? Because the, the amazement and the wonder of what just took place just took place. It says, and he took hold of him and healed him and uh, sent him away. In verse 5, it says, And he said to them, to those Pharisees, Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a pit, a well, and will not immediately pull him out if it's on the Sabbath? And they could make no reply. In other words, they were silent. Because in their mind, their man-made laws, those legalists, they had it so set up, it was written what was considered work and what was not considered work, and you could never work on the Sabbath. Even so much as to, to pull your son, if he fell down in a well, and it just so happened to be on a Sunday, on, or at that time on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, They couldn't pull him out, because that would be considered work. But you know good and well, they would pull their son out if their son was in in trouble. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. He says, look, y'all are being ridiculous here. And they could not reply, and they did not reply. Because to reply and admit that that would be okay, then how do you... Uh, Criticized and condemned Jesus for creating a miracle, and it was on the Sabbath. Here's another thing. Keep in mind too. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus healed um, um, uh, a, a woman whose son was possessed. If I got that right, I know I'm close. Uh, a woman, oh no, uh, a, a woman who was who had been bleeding, who had been bleeding. And in verse 12 and 13 of chapter 13, it says. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God, but it was on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees started to condemn Jesus. How dare you heal on the Sabbath? So word got around. Gossip always moves fast, even, even back then. And then it gets to the, uh, the ears of those who now are inviting Jesus over to dinner at their place because you know what? It worked once before. Let's do it again. So now they bring out someone else to trip him, to catch Jesus in a moment that they can use against him. And you wonder why he spoke to them in parables. Because God was pronouncing judgment against those people. Even while they are living and breathing They're being condemned to hell. Because hearing, they're not going to hear. Why? Look at their attitude. Look at where they stood. Look at what they were holding to. And I got a question for you. Did it not escape your notice that here is Jesus. He's over at this house. And it says, and they were watching him closely. Here is God. Made flesh. And he's in their house. Who's watching who more closely? Has that ever connected to you? Here is God in human form. And he knows exactly what they're doing. But you know what? He still goes over there, doesn't he? You know why he went over there? Because he loved them. They did not love him. They did not accept him. But he loved them. Them. It is at this point that, the, that Jesus switches to the offensive. Who of you, who, if you had a son and he fell into a well or animal fell into a pit, you wouldn't pull him out? He goes into the offensive and he, and he tells them three parables. The first parable is the parable of the ambitious guest. And then the second parable, he tells them, is the parable of the luncheon. And just when you think he's through, and he might have been, he launched out into the biggest of the three, and he did that one for a reason. You'll see this up on the screen, I believe. Uh, Oh, no, you won't. We're still in the Bible. The other passage is on the screen yet to come, I think. I can't remember. It says in verse 7 of Luke chapter 14, it says this, And Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guest. Now remember, he's in this house. When he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. And so he said to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. This You can see this play out if you think it in your mind. Today's equivalent, you're at a wedding and after the wedding you're in the reception hall and there at the front is the table. And at the table it's set up for the, the bride and the bridegroom and their parents and they're sitting there and then there's you and you were in the wedding and when you came out you saw that uh spot at the main table had shinier Uh, plates, and uh, it already had uh, the finger food set out on it. uh, And so you go and you sit down in the place where the groom is supposed to sit. That would be awkward. You probably wouldn't last there very long either. Why? Because it's not for you. But how awesome would it be if you're sitting out there, and all of a sudden the groom stands up at one point, and he sees you, and because there's such a connection or such a closeness that he has, he sees you, and he says, come up here and bring a chair. I want you to sit over here. You sit right by me. And it's in front of everybody. You You can connect. You can connect to what's going on here. What do we learn about this parable of the ambitious guest? Well, number one, it is better to hear come up here than to hear go down go down second the way to the top is to start at the bottom and that's Jesus' principle to all of us with everything we don't start off at the top well you can but you won't last very long that way Jesus' approach, Jesus' attitude, God's thinking is that in all that we do, start at the bottom. And you work your way up. And God very much reminds us in this parable how much he embraces this thing that we call humility. Humility. It's humility. Humility. I mean, here is Jesus the night before he is literally handed over to be tortured and beaten and abused. And then he's going to die for the sins of the world, making himself sin on our behalf. And what is he doing? He's washing feet. Remember, they didn't wear Nikes and Adidas and Converse. and what, what, Their feet were nasty. And yet here is Jesus washing their feet. There is something so big when it comes to humility with God. This whole exaltation thing, it's a, it's a big thing. As soon as Jesus tells this parable, I wonder what they're thinking. Because you see, when they were invited over to the house, it was in the Jewish culture, the tables that were set up were set up with three chairs at each table. And the center position of those tables was the one of highest honor. So you kind of saw Jesus as he walked in. He saw a lot of these guys, and they're sitting in the middle of the three chairs of all these tables, and he's thinking, they're not the big shots. Who are they? So Jesus goes into this parable of the ambitious guest. As soon as he is done, he launches into the second one, and he says this. And he also went on his, uh, on to say to the one who had invited him. So he's addressing this host, this person. And he says this, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since you do since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, why did Jesus share this and say this? This was, remember, this is still a connecting thought to all of those high and lifted up Pharisees taking the highest positions of honor, and he tells them, Listen, if you want to make an impact in the life of other people, then you do things for those who cannot repay you back. If your heart is that sincere that you want to really reach out and impact people that need, need some help, then Choose those who have no means or ability to repay you. Don't pick out those that, well, you know, I'm going to do this here, and then later on you can do this over here for me. When you do that, the reward that you're getting back is already in full. Is it not interesting, y'all, that Jesus takes something so simple, and you know what he says? For on the day of judgment, God's going to repay you. Do you ever stop and think, if you're humble, you don't. You just do it because you know it's right and that's what God wants. But do you ever stop to think that the actions, the things that you do, it really does matter? It matters so much that it's going to be brought up one day on this day of judgment, as the Bible talks about. He says it, He makes it really clear. And you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. You're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't want to be repaid. I just want to do this because this is what Jesus wants me to do. That's all I want to do. I just want to please Him. But Jesus has bigger things in store later, and it's called repaying those who are obedient. When you do what you do and you do it because it honors Jesus, Jesus not only blesses you, He not only uses you, but there's a day coming, He's going to sit you up in the middle of the court and you're going to be showered with blessings and accolades and rewards and you're like i don't want all that this i don't either i just want to do what jesus wants but jesus wants this to happen so much in your life he will bless you now and he's going to bless you later that's what he wants it's his way of just saying i want to brag on my kid look at what he did look at what she did over here and they did it for those who have nothing Find someone that you know that could really use a power of encouragement this week and be a blessing in their life. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, at this point, he's probably done. But right after he says this, and these people, they're not listening. Because someone speaks up and he says in verse 15... And when one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, "Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God." Now, at first you would hear that and you would think, "Well, that sounds, you know, amen. That's 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 worth noting." But when he said this, this was in arrogance. These Pharisees, remember, why did they invite him over? They invited him over because they wanted to hear his wisdom or his truth. They invited him over because they wanted to set him up. And it worked. He healed that that guy with with, uh, uh, dropsy. And now all of a sudden, this guy just so arrogantly sits back and says, Well, blessed are those who get to eat bread in the kingdom of God. See, they knew, they thought they knew, they knew that they were the children of promise. Why? Because they're Pharisees. They're Jews. They knew they had the corner on the market and the best spots of everything in heaven and God loved them way more than he loved anyone else. Why? They were Jews. They were the chosen people. That's what they were thinking. So to kind of counter all that Jesus is saying, this one pompous, arrogant person stands up and says what he does. And the minute he does that, Jesus immediately launched into the biggest parable. And you will see this one up on the screen. It says, Jesus said, verse 16, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, Well, I've bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And then another one said, I just got married. For this reason, I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And so the master said to that slave, Go out again and to the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited will taste of my dinner. Boy, now let that one sink in right there. None will taste of my dinner. Unlike the other two parables, this banquet parable is no intimate small gathering. Many, the Bible says, were invited. Those invited at first, they all acknowledged that they wanted to go to the wedding. That is why they were sent the invite. They had already said yes, and then came time for the marriage feast to take place. And the moment the marriage feast took place, one by one, they all began to make excuses as to why they could not go. See, Jesus teaches us in this parable that the Great Supper, in order uh, to prove and to make uh, the points of the truths he was trying to convey to the people that were trying to set him up, as well as to everyone else outside of that house and all the way to right now, a number of different positions in in the way we should be thinking on things in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus had just finished talking to them about not setting themselves up in places of honor. Jesus just finished talking to them, and he told them, do unto the others that cannot do unto you And so he launches off into this parable and he says, Let me just tell you how this is going to go. God is the master in this parable. And he is sending out his slaves, his servants, to tell those invited to come. Who were the ones invited originally? They were the Jews. Over and over and over and over and over you read in the, in, the, in the New Testament that God's appeal were to the Jews. They were His covenant people. 4,000 years God sent His slaves, His servants, to the people in the form of prophets. We see them in the Old Testament. In the form of preachers. And now he's doing it in the form of apostles. And he's doing it to tell them it's ready. When Jesus came onto the scene, it was ready. Remember all the times when you read in the New Testament when Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand? It was happening. But there was one problem. The Jews didn't want to go in. Because in their mind, they had it all figured out, well, this is how it really works. So they had everything all done and set up. And so hard-hearted were they that they shut out the words that Jesus had to say. Because why? What I think is pretty good, and so um, I'm just going to go by with what I'm thinking. And they missed out. They missed out on eternal life. They missed out on going because they said no, and Jesus uses this. But what were the invitations? It's the gospel. The invitations were sent out. The gospel message is being sent. And they said no. They said no. And then, to add insult to injury, they make excuses. And did you check out the excuses that Jesus points out? It's pretty fascinating uh one how about that one uh the first one uh the one that said that he could not go because he just bought some land and he needs to go and he needs to look at the land how many of you in this room would go out and spend a whole lot of money on land sight unseen how many how ridiculous the excuse this one gave, well, I bought some land, and now I know this is going on, and I'll get to it when I maybe later if I get to it at all, but I need to go check out this land. See, he was too big to concern himself with something as minor as his wedding. Why do I need to go and do that? I'm self-sufficient. How about the second one? The second one wasn't too busy, or too big to go. The second one was too busy. He had just bought five oxen, and now he needed to go and try them out. Sounds almost acceptable, except who's going to spend tens of thousands of dollars in the equivalent of what this, the five oxen represented, especially back in that day, and they hadn't even looked at them yet. Oh, I heard they're good. Oh, okay, well then sign me up. Here's, here's my whole life's wages on five oxen. I've not even seen yet. But that's the excuse. See, the first one is too big to go to a little party. The second one is way too busy. Well, what about the third one? That's the most embarrassing of them all. Well, I'm too blessed. I just got married. So, your wife can't go with you to a wedding? I mean, today's day and age, the wife's the one dragging the husband along. But the point is, you couldn't take your wife. She's not allowed to go to the banquet? Really? So, you're not going to be together after the wedding? So, you need. What? Why can't she go? Take everybody with you. Excuses. As embarrassing as these excuses are, have you ever stopped to notice? This is an oh my on oh my part. Have you ever stopped to think about how God notices your excuses? Especially when it comes to being faithful in your Christian life or what you do in the church? I shared this at Larry's funeral on Friday. And I shared it because it was so true. Larry Knight, even when he would have chemo and medicine, and he was just really in rough shape, you would always find Larry at our church. And the reason? Because he wanted to be around God's people. And there's a lot of people that look to him. Just like you do. When you walk into a room and you see who's there, certain people will excite you more than others. Why? Because they're your closest friends. It means a lot to them to see you there. But when you use your Cheap excuses as to why you don't go. And you say it enough, you can even convince yourself that it's a pretty good reason. Seeing it from God's perspective, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating. And he doesn't look down on it well. Why? Because you need the fellowship of the the brethren to sustain you As you go through the rest of the week in a world that does not love Jesus, but when you go to church, you're surrounded by those that do. Remember, the church is Jesus' idea. It's not man's. And right here, you see that he is angry. You know why he's so angry with these servants? I'll tell you why. Remember, what were the invitations to the way? It's the gospel. They were saying no to the gospel. Why is he so angry? Because it is no light thing to God to spurn the gospel. That is why when we read verses like today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Why? Because you're not guaranteed that tomorrow you're going to have that convicting power come upon you to want to receive Jesus if you put it off. It is never, ever a good thing. To put Jesus off. It's not a good thing. And that's exactly what they were doing. You know, until Calvary took place, the special apostolic uh, mission was to the lost sheep of Israel. We know that. We know that. I'm going to chase the rabbit. I wasn't going to do it, but I want to chase the rabbit because it's a really cool story. You read just earlier in the chapter, a Canaanite woman... Goes up to Jesus and the apostles. Jesus is going along, and she starts crying out, Have mercy on my son. He is demon-possessed, and he really needs your help. And the Bible says Jesus keeps walking. Well, no, that's interesting. The Bible says she follows after him, and she is screaming out loud. Now, picture this. If you're a parent in this room and you have a child and that child was in desperate need of something to happen, otherwise it's, it's going to be it, you're going to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. So she's following after Jesus more and more. And then she's screaming, Have mercy on me and my son. Do something. You can do something. And the Bible says Jesus stopped and he looked at her and he said these words. It is not right to take the bread that's designated to the children and to throw it to the dogs. (laughs) Jesus just called her a dog. But did he? She immediately replied. Did she get offended by that? No. She knew what he was doing. What did she say? She said, That may be true, But even the dogs, when they eat crumbs, are satisfied. Know what she was saying? I know you're doing something, and I know I'm interrupting, but if you could just throw a crumb my way, if it comes from you, that's all I need. That's why she said what she did. And Jesus looked at her, and he just exploded in joy. And he said in front of all the apostles, this woman is a woman of great faith. And then he looked at her and he said, go home, it's going to be exactly how you want it. And the Bible says she went away happy and rejoicing. Did you know that's the first miracle that was ever done to a Gentile by Jesus in the Bible? Why did he initially say, it's not a good thing to take the bread and throw it to the dogs? Because he was going to the house of Israel. It was the the Jews. It was the covenant people. How about when you read Romans 1.16? You'll see it on the screen. When Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then he tacks this on. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. How about Acts 1.8? When... uh, We read the words, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. And then look at the stages of the witnesses, both in Jerusalem and then in Judea and then in Samaria and to the farthest points of the earth. We right now are in that Samaria range because in Jerusalem, God was still trying to reach the Jews. That's where it started. But when he changed his mind, when he shifted what he was doing because of the hardness of their heart and their rejecting who Jesus is, the Bible says the floodgates opened, and here we are. And here we are. It started in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then it started going out more, and it's Samaria. And here we are in old Rendon, Texas, And we know Jesus. It wasn't long until the Gentiles began to outnumber the Jews. God fulfilled what he was going after regardless of how much the people resisted. Why? Because God's house, he wants it full. He wants his house full. And if his people who he went to and they did not receive him, well, then he's going to move on to those that will. And that's what this parable is all about. The whole picture depicts the gospel invitation, and it is going out during an age where people dwell. Highways, byways, along the hedges, wherever they're at. The gospel, the invitation is going out. And I want you to notice something I've never seen before until I was preparing for this message. After the servants tell the master that all these places have been covered, and all the people that you have said to go after, we went after them. And look, they're here. There's still room for more, though. Remember how they said, there's still room for more. And then the master sends out his servants one last time to the other places to bring them in so that his house is full. You want to know who that other group of people is that the servants go after to bring in? It will be the Jews during the end times, the apocalypse when the Bible makes it very crystal clear that they will realize their ancestors, and this is when the apocalypse is happening, they will realize it was their ancestors who crucified the Lord, and they will turn to Jesus, and they will accept Jesus as Messiah. That's that group. Lord, there's still room in your house. So he sends them out one more time so that his house will be full. What do we learn from the great banquet parable? Number one, we, just, like, just like in the parable that we read about the luncheon, where we are told to invite those who cannot repay you, right here we see Jesus doing just that, don't we? Jesus is doing something for you you can't do for yourself. Can you take yourself to the banquet on your own? No, because you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We don't get to go on our own. Regardless of what we believe, if we don't believe and align ourselves in what Jesus says, which is to place complete and total trust in Him alone, you're not going to get to the banquet table, the banquet hall. So Jesus is doing for them what they cannot do for themselves, just like we read in the previous little tiny parable. Number two, no excuse will ever work and boy are we professional at giving excuses better to learn it now than to experience it later and then the third point never never and never take the gospel invitation for granted what's the key takeaway here God wants his hands to be full God is not slow, counting His promise, as many think it's slow. But He is patient toward you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all come to repentance. That's what God has on His heart. And for those that refuse and reject, it breaks His heart, but He moves on. He moves on. Now, one of the scariest verses in the Bible is this last verse that we read here in this portion. Anyway, when the master says, "For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner." Now, let's wrap this up and remember who was he talking to when he delivered this message? It's the Pharisees in a house. They were setting him up, and he knew what they were doing. And what's the last thing he says? That's the last thing he says. And when he said, for I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. He was looking right at those guys. He's looking right at those guys, and he says, and none of them are invited to where I'm going. And he turns, and he walks out the door. Parables to those who are hard-hearted will always come down as judgment. And that's what Jesus was bringing that day. You know what? When you look at the discipleship of Christians and you read the really strong verses in the Bible that talks about discipleship being tested, you you find it in this passage or or, or, or in this passage Chapter, I mean, following what we just read today. You know the passage where Jesus says, if you don't hate your mother and your father and your brother and your sister, you cannot be mine? Well, he's not saying hate your parents. He is saying your love for me compared to the love that you have for them, the love for them should look like hate for how much you love me. And if that's not the case, then there's a problem here. Why did all these tough, scary, hard verses come about? Look at what led up to it. Jesus is simply trying to say to them and to us, there is an invitation that's been given out, and it's the gospel. And God wants you to come to his house. So much so, he sent his son to die for you. He wants you where he is at. But you need to come to him. And when you come to him, you don't come to him with your preconceived, well, this is how I think I should be able to get in. You don't get to write the rules. He writes the rules. Our job is to be obedient and to see what he's doing and to trust him and to follow him and to go after him because there is a banquet and it's bigger and crazier, good than you could ever imagine. Eye has not seen, neither has ear heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man all the things that God has in store for those who love him. And the ones that love Him are the ones that say yes to Him, not the ones that make excuses. And if you're here today, I just want to say to you, God has a desire, and that desire, He wants you to be in His house. And He wants you to be with Him and to live for Him while you're down here, making a difference for Him until the day comes when you're called home to go to that big feast. I just want to say to you this morning, if you're here today and if you don't know Jesus and you want to know how can I know Jesus, then you can come down and you can speak to any one of the ministers or myself. We would love to tell you how that happens. But if you're here today too and maybe you've been finding yourself living your life in such a way that you're just making excuses all the time, you're not doing what you should be doing as a Christian and you want that to change then you tell the Lord that right now as we pray here in just a few seconds. You tell the Lord what you're thinking. You tell the Lord what you want Him to do and ask Him to help you to get you geared and going in the direction that you need to be going in. Because time is short. And those messengers, those servants, those slaves that are going out telling others, that's where y'all come in. And that's where I come in. And our job is to take what we know and to get it out there so other people can figure it out too. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. And Lord, we want to thank you that you have given us the ability to see the things that you're doing and to try to understand what you did 2,000 years ago when you when you shared these parables, Lord, we're watching you. But Lord, we are watching you in a way of asking God, would you lead us? God, we just want your leadership. We just want you to move. We're not here to scrutinize every single thing you do. God, we know who you are. Lord, you are king of kings you are the lord of lords god you are the fairest of ten thousands you are the bright and morning star god you you are jehovah you are i am and we know that lord what we're asking this morning is this god we want more people to come with us to the banquet all of us in this room we we got family and close friends and they don't know who you are i pray god That during this week, this holiday season, when we can interject the things that can be good talking points to talk to those that we really love about you, the real meaning of Christmas and the gift that you gave, I pray, God, that you would open those doors for us. And, Lord, that you would move within us to be that person that can speak And to talk and to share the things that can draw our lost friends and family to you. God, it's my prayer. It's our prayer today. Lord, that you would use us in such a way to see great things happen in the lives of the people that we care about the most. Because, Lord, there is a banquet. And you want that banquet to be filled. And we want it to be filled. We just ask, Lord, would you help us to know how to make that happen? Lord, we are here today. Use us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. We ask all these things. Amen.